thanks for coming tonight. Great to sit with you all. Everybody can hear okay? Pretty loud voice, so. So I started practicing meditation. I was a child prodigy. I uh, started meditating in 1975 and came to Buddhist meditation, insight meditation, in 1990, so almost 30 years ago, uh, that I began this kind of meditation that we practiced here tonight. In my I say my early years, but it's probably kind of a fucking probably like my first 25 years of uh, meditation. I was able to, in my meditation practice, uh, put aside my thinking to a reasonable extent, right? To the point where when I meditated, if I meditated, you know, for a reasonable amount of time every morning when I meditated, half hour or so, uh, I was able to kind of put my thoughts to the side, not completely, of course, but chip away at my thinking and uh, find some freedom from my thinking, my painful thinking, my painful narratives, and uh, find some refuge and experience some peace, some peace, uh, peace of mind. Of the greatest happiness there is, peace of mind. In my meditation, I was able to experience uh, a degree of peace. At a certain point, I started doing a lot of retreats. And uh, when I would do longer retreats at places like Inside Meditation Society and the Spirit Rock and Gaia House, uh, you know, I was able particularly after a few days of retreats, some of you have probably had this experience, really to be able to put aside a lot of my thinking, you know how it is on a retreat, after four or five days, you forget about your job, uh, you forget about your relationship, and we always used to talk about jobs, relationships, and apartments, you know, the mm -hmm. things that we obsess about, you know? After a few days on retreat, those things kind of fell away, and we're practicing meditation all day on a retreat, you know? very arduous form that we use in the insect meditation style, uh, you know, sitting and walking and sitting and walking. And uh, you know, as the Buddha said, you know, all thoughts of the householder life just fall away, you know, all those thoughts, uh, you know, to a large extent. And I mean, I had many retreats where I experienced great peace, great peace of mind. But, but, right, we all know what the but is, right? It's like I would experience peace in my meditation, on retreats, I would often experience great peace. Uh, but in my life, there was a real drop-off. There was a real drop-off. I mean, I'd meditate in the morning, usually, and I would feel pretty good and kind of peaceful. And, you know, maybe that would last a few minutes after the meditation, but you know, I'd get on the subway, or I'd be talking to a friend, or I'd be at work, or I'd be doing something, you know, and I'd get back into my life, and my thinking, you know, wasn't that much different than it ever was. 
I was still besieged by all different kinds of thoughts of aversion and desire, painful narratives. Uh, you know, I'd go on a retreat, you know, and maybe for a couple of days after I would come home after the retreat, I'd feel really good, you know, and then of course, you know what happens? You know, it's that moment when you realize like you're just obsessing like you always did, you know? You know, and sometimes it's even worse because you're you're adding on the obsession of like, I'm obsessing like I always did, and I wasn't obsessing when I was on retreat, and I thought I never would obsess so much anymore. So in my life, what I would experience outside of meditation that you know, I was still besieged by my thinking and my painful narratives. And I still had a very pronounced tendency to get fixated on certain things. Things about my life or about myself, about my jobs and relationships and my apartment uh, and my possessions and all my things, you know, and I get fixated on those things. And I suffered a lot. I mean, our, our thinking is the manifestation of our suffering. You know, that's, the, that's the manifestation of our suffering. So at some point, I'm a little slow to, to respond, but uh, at some point I began to see that you know, it's like I need to do something about my thinking off the cushion. I need to do something about my thinking off the cushion. It's not just enough to meditate. And I was, I meditated a lot. I mean, I meditated every day, 45 minutes, an hour. You know, I did a gazillion retreats, uh, but it wasn't cutting it. You know, it wasn't cutting it. I needed to do something about my thinking when I was off the cushion, when I was in my life. You know, just doing something about my thinking during that 45 minutes or an hour or a half hour, you know, and on that retreat that maybe I went to, you know, a couple of times a year was not enough. You know, there was most of my life I wasn't doing anything really about my thinking. I was doing very little. When we started New York Insight, I was one of the founders uh, back in 97. Uh, our task, our charge, the way that I saw it, uh, and it's always been the way that I've seen my task as a meditation teacher, given the form in which I teach, was to teach people who are householders, who aren't monks and nuns, and aren't living in retreat centers, how to develop uh, more peace of mind, how to have less suffering and more happiness in their lives, you know? I mean, it's one thing to teach somebody to have more happiness on a retreat or in a meditation. It's another whole thing to teach somebody or to practice in the spirit of learning to have more happiness in your life. And, you know, for myself, uh, you know, it was really interesting being uh, somebody who started this center and then another center, Downtown Meditation Community, which I started in 2002, and somebody who started teaching in 1998. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know, call me ultra-whip, call me idealistic, but you know, I sort of wanted the students that I was teaching to be happy, you know, which meant that 
you know, I sort of had to address the fact that most of my, most of the students that came to our classes and the people that I was teaching, uh, you know, they were kind of like me. They were meditating maybe a half hour, 45 minutes a day. A lot of them could do maybe one long retreat a year. A lot of the people that came to New York Insight, that came to downtown meditation that I, that I taught, uh, you know, they had families, they had children, and so many people in our group over the years had children. Most people had full-time jobs, you know, they had partners. They could, a lot of them couldn't even go on one retreat, you know? So the way I looked at it is like, you know, my task, or what I'm interested in, the reason why I'm doing this is so you guys can be more happy in your life, you know? Which meant that we kind of had to figure out how to do that. You know, what do you need to do? Because just meditating isn't doing it. You know, just meditating isn't doing it. Uh, just going on retreats isn't going to do that for you. So uh, I had to start to think, we had to start to think about what we needed to teach, what we needed to teach. And one of the most important things that we needed to teach, uh, we needed to teach people, and I needed to practice in the service of doing something about my life when I wasn't meditating, and doing something about life off the cushion. Now, the thing about that is, the Buddha, that's what the Buddha teaches. You know, that's what the Buddha teaches. The Buddha teaches meditation, but he doesn't just teach meditation. He didn't just teach meditation. He taught a way of living and a way of life. Buddha taught skills that we can all learn and practice and develop so that we can experience happiness in all of our affairs and all the things that we're doing in our lives. So, I mean, that was something that I came to understand uh, was that the Buddha taught those skills. So, sort of like... You know, I always kid around with people and say, I didn't like make this stuff up. But I did have to kind of look and see, well, what did the Buddha teach? What did the Buddha teach? So one of the most important skills that the Buddha taught and also practiced, and the Buddha realized this himself, and actually, you know, his what he learned about what he needed to do about his thinking off the cushion was what ultimately led him to be able to become awakened. And so much of what he learned was, what do you need to do when you're not meditating? So the Buddha taught these skills. The Buddha taught the skill of uh, what we could call mindfulness of thinking. How to be mindful of your thinking in all what we like to say and put it in all postures and all of your activities. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that skill tonight. One of the things I always love about this skill, too, is that I don't want to be overly glib about this, but and you know, it's like easier than meditation, although having a meditation center that you develop in meditation is really important in terms of being able to practice mindfulness of thinking off the cushion. But it's a practice in which you can really start to see, you know, you can really start to see results where 
you know, a lot of times in meditation, it's, 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 it's much more challenging. Uh, so I'll talk a little bit about this practice of mindfulness of thinking, which really is, is a, little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a misnomer. The, the correct term is heedfulness of thinking. Buddha taught a practice of heedfulness, heedfulness of thinking. The first part of that is to be mindful of your thinking is to be mindful of your thinking. So uh, what he did and what he suggested that we do is pay attention to your thinking at all times. At all times. So we kind of do that in the meditation, but you know, it's sort of like I said, I would pay attention to my thinking in the meditation, and then it was like, all bets are off, you know? I mean, I would even notice that on retreat. You ever notice this on retreat? You know, people would hear it on retreats. You know, it's like I go to a retreat and IMS, you know, I'd be really watching my thinking in the sitting meditation, you know, and I'd be really watching it in the walking meditation, and then I go back to my room and it's like, thinking, you know, now I can really go to town, you know? I was like, something was wrong there, you know? And it, it took me a long time to kind of figure that out. I figured, well, now, now I can just obsess. So what the Buddha teaches us is to be, so his practice is be mindful of your thinking in all of your postures, all of your activities, whatever you're doing. Pay attention to your thinking. And his instruction is, very, is, is, is more, a little more specific than that. He says, pay attention, notice when you're engaging in thinking that's informed by aversion and desire. So that's his instruction. Pay attention to when you're engaging with thinking that's informed with aversion and desire. I said, I use, that's easy. That's like all my thinking. You know? Because because it, it is kind of, right, for most of us. Sometimes you go, well, what about delusional thinking, you know, and like daydreaming? It's like, I have problems with aversion and desire, you know? And of course, that leads into thinking informed by aversion and desire. So pay attention to your thinking. Notice when you are engaging in thinking that's informed by aversion and desire. So as we go throughout the course of our day, we're paying attention. We're noticing when we are engaging in thoughts of aversion. <coughs> Might be thoughts of aversion towards other people. The Buddha said always pay attention to you know, sort of the blatant examples and the subtle examples. So blatant examples might be thoughts about aversion, you know, thoughts of anger or resentment towards family members or friends or you know, people that you're involved in, your boss, relationships, you know, but also pay attention to thinking informed by aversion in more subtle contexts, you know, the aversion to the person that you see on the street. You know, for me, it was always the people on the street on the cell phones, you know, and that's like kind of a subtle form of thinking, you know, look at that idiot, why doesn't he shut up? You know? That's sort of like my own. So that was a that was a pattern of thinking that I had to start to really pay attention to. So we learn to really pay attention, or maybe thoughts of aversion about the circumstances of our lives. I hate my job. I hate my apartment. I hate my relationship. You know, I mean, you know, just fill in all the little 
subcategories that kind of go along with that, right? Thoughts of aversion, worry, anxiety, you know, that relate to financial, your financial situation, or your relationship status. But again, it could be subtle things, you know? In New York, a big one is the weather. You know, like everybody hates the weather. <laughs> so I have to really start to watch those thoughts. Ah, oh, another cold day. Oh, another hot day. Another humid day. Ah. Oh. You know, I mean, so we pay attention to the thinking that's informed by your version. Right now, it's like, why is he giving the Dharma talk on this? You know, I hate this talk. <laughs> I hate these chairs here. But why are the lights the way they are? Why do they have the damn fans on? You know, I mean, there's plenty of things that you could dislike right now, right? Plenty of things. And we pay attention to our thinking that's informed by desire, wanting. So if it's desire for another person, or desire to have a certain kind of relationship, or if it's desire in terms of your job, your career, or your apartment, you know, I want to... It's like I always say, you know, I lived in Queens, I always wanted to move to Manhattan. You know, then I finally got that apartment in Manhattan. It's like, I gotta move to Brooklyn. It's like, I gotta get that apartment in Brooklyn. So maybe material things. I mean, there's many things blatant and subtle in terms of desire. You know, just maybe you're sitting here right now and it's like, I just want to go home and lie on the couch and take out that remote control, you know. Water some food, you know. Or maybe it's the desire right now. Nobody want to take out the phone. I mean, that's a subtle form of desire, the thinking about the phone. So what we're asked to do is pay attention to our thinking, right? Be heedful of our thinking. Be mindful of our thinking. But that's not heedfulness. And this is where this talk, I mean, for many of you who know me, this you know what I'm going to say next, but for other people, this talk may kind of go in a different direction than what you may be used to. Because the Buddha didn't say, just see the thinking. He said, question it. It's not enough just to see it. You've got to question it. Because there is sort of this Western idea of, oh God, just thoughts, let them come and go. It's not what the Buddha taught. What he taught is like, see the drawbacks in thoughts that are informed by aversion and desire. See the drawbacks in thoughts that are informed by aversion and desire. So what does that mean? You know, see that those thoughts are causing you suffering. See that those thoughts are causing you suffering. Because that's how you develop insight, you know? I mean, just looking at them, you, you can kind of see that, you know? But if you're like me, it really helps to kind of frame your looking with a really clear question, you know? It's like we always talk about you know, asking the question, is it useful? Is this thought about the person on the cell phone useful? Is this thought of desire, you know, Right now, as I'm sitting here listening to this beautiful Dharma talk, 
about, you know, you know, is that useful? Is it useful? Well, what does that mean? And is it useful means, is it really serving me in my efforts to find a greater happiness in my life? Is it really serving me in my efforts to end my suffering? Are these thoughts useful? Are there drawbacks in these thoughts? The Buddha, of course, asks that you ask the question, you know, when you're asking that question, it's like, you know, are there consequences? Because we're talking about understanding the law of karma. You know, it's like, your actions have consequences. Your mental actions, the way that you think, have consequences. What are the consequences of this, this thinking that I'm engaging in right now? What are the consequences of this thinking in this moment? But also, what are the long-term consequences of this thinking? What kind of mind am I shaping? How is this way that I'm thinking as I'm walking down the street and engaging in these thoughts of aversion about this person or desire about that person, how is that affecting my mind? What kind of mind am I shaping? How is this thinking that may seem very subtle that's informed by aversion or desire, how is it shaping my mind and how is that going to affect the rest of my day or the rest of my week or the rest of my life? Because that's what it really comes down to. You know, all of your actions have consequences. Your mental actions have consequences in the moment when you're engaging in them, but going forward. Every time you engage in a thought that's informed by aversion or desire, you're conditioning future thinking informed by aversion and desire. You're planting seeds that are going to sprout if you water them in the future. So you're thinking has consequences in the moment. And it's really important when you're looking at your thinking to understand its long-term consequences. Because you know that thought about the person on the cell phone or the thought of, you know, this the desirous thought may not seem so, you know, so damaging in the moment. But that but the long-term you know, when you really start to understand the long-term consequences of your thinking, then you really start to understand the drawbacks. Is this thinking useful? Is it leading to suffering or is it leading to happiness? I mean, you know, we're really talking about developing discernment, which in many ways is an art. So uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot if we're asking these questions, you know, is this thinking useful? Uh, is it in my best interests? Is learning to kind of ask the question but not to answer it, you know? Because on an intellectual level, you know, people say, well, I know it's not useful. You know, it's like, no, you don't. You know, if you really knew it wasn't useful, you wouldn't engage in it. You know it's use, not useful, perhaps, on an intellectual level, but that's not going to lead you to being able to abandon that thinking. You know, the insight that you need to learn to develop that's going to enable you to abandon that thinking is an insight that you know in the body and in the heart. So the idea is to ask the question and you know let the let your understanding come right down into the heart and understand it here. I mean, really, it starts with the body, right? And we can even play play with it a little bit, you know. Now, you can you have my permission right now to engage in a thought of aversion or desire just for a minute, not a minute, like five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> And see what that feels like. But you have to think of something, because it's all conditioned. You have to think of something that you don't like or you really want. See what that feels like. 
So we can do it eyes open or closed. What does that feel like when you're engaging in that thought? Okay. Stop. <laughs> See what that feels like. Could be as simple as let me sit here in this room and listen to this Dharma talk with love, with compassion. So that's how you develop one's insight. You develop it in the body. Start to see that. Start to understand that. I mean, that's pretty amazing, right? You know, that's pretty amazing. I mean, that's your that's your bodily wisdom, that's your innate wisdom guiding you in the right direction. That's what we need to follow. You know, why does it feel good when you have a thought of loving kindness? Because your wisdom is telling you, this is the way to happiness. Why does it feel, why do you get contracted and stuff like that when you have angry thoughts? You know, that's your heart telling you, no, 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 you're going in the wrong direction. All I'm saying is pay attention. Pay attention to what your heart is telling you. Pay attention to what your innate wisdom is showing you. The answers are right there. It's all right there. But you have to look and see when you're engaging in that thought, those things, those thoughts, and you have to start asking the question, what's it like when I'm having this thought of aversion towards that person? What is that like? What is that like? That's when you really start to know, when you know things in the body and in the heart. So we learn to, and this is the Buddha's instruction on heedfulness of thinking, of course, is learn to see when you're engaging in thoughts of aversion and desire, and see the drawbacks in that, and then learn to cultivate thoughts of that are skillful, which are skillful thoughts or thoughts of compassion and loving kindness, and see what that's like, just what we did. So we just did the Buddhist teaching in a nutshell. See when you're engaging in thoughts of aversion, see what that's like, see the drawbacks in that, cultivate thoughts of loving kindness and compassion, and see what that's like. See the benefits in thoughts that are skillful. The two skillful thoughts, ways of fabricating thought, are thoughts that are informed by compassion, driven by our wish to be free from suffering, the wish that we have for others to be free from suffering, and the thoughts that we have that are motivated by loving kindness, our wish to be happy, the wish that we have that others are happy. So we learn to fabricate these thoughts, you know. You have to learn to, the important word is fabricate, because you have to learn to cultivate those thoughts, you know, using you know, really effort goes into it, right? It's like you need to cultivate that thought of let me be here in this room right now with loving kindness. Because, I mean, for some of you, maybe that thought comes up naturally, you know? For me, my karma is more like my chair hurts, the mat hurts, it's too hot, it's too cold, you know? So that's how you train the mind. And you see the drawbacks and the unskillful thinking, but you have to train the mind to think in a skillful way. The Buddha said you learn to bend the mind in a skillful direction. So you do that by fabricating thoughts of loving kindness and compassion.
So it could be thoughts about your life circumstances. You know, maybe you're going through something difficult. Our thoughts tend to be, we're going through something difficult. You know, it's like, I hate this. This is awful. This is terrible. I want something different. So can you start to see that that is what you're doing in terms of the way you're engendering thought? See the drawbacks in that? Start cultivating skillful thoughts, thoughts of compassion. Compassion for yourself, for the difficulty that you're going through. You can do this with all the circumstances in your life. I mean, we focus a lot on these jobs, relationships, and apartments, but you know, and the things that we don't like and the things that we want, you know, those things are never gonna really bring us happiness. You know, we can spend a lot more time just cultivating thoughts of uh, metta, let me be in this life with love. You know, let me experience my life with love. Let me be in this moment. You know, so just today, walking over here, going home tonight, you know, can I walk down the street with an open heart? Just like what we did in the meditation. That was training. That was training for the, for the real show, which is what happens when, you, when, the, bell, when the bell rings. That's, that's when life begins, when the bell rings. That's not the end, that's the beginning. Now you gotta do what you did in the meditation. That's why we're very, make a real point of like, in the meditation, keep reminding yourself that you're doing this with love and with compassion. So you just keep touching in. I like that term, touching in, because you can't be going through the whole day. May I be happy, may I be happy. You keep touching in. Like right now, you can just touch in. Let me listen to this talk with metta. Let me listen to this talk with an open heart. The Buddha said you keep it very simple. Very simple. You cultivate a skillful thought, and then you go back to the breath, and you just stay in your center. Because if you said, if you, if you try to use thinking too much, the mind gets tired really fast, and then you go into your habitual ways of thinking. It's a brilliant teaching. So you just use thinking a little bit. It's like fire. If you use it really well, it's beautiful, right? You can warm everything, cook all your food. But if you use it too much, you're going to burn the food and, and you know, burn down the building. So you just use just a little bit to get you connected into the heart. It's not easy. You know, it seems like it would be a really easy thing, right? To say, let me be here with loving kindness. Let me walk down the street with compassion. But our karma is really strong. You know, the grooves in the mind are really deep. You know, we may sit here and say, you know, this can't work. I got enough time, trouble trying to meditate for a half hour a day. Now he wants me to look at my thinking all the time. <laughs> or we may think, this seems so silly. This seems, you know. Or, or, or the big one, mine, is like, I don't want to give up my thinking. You know, I want to give up my aversive thinking. So you have to kind of play, because that's your mind. You know, that's, that's like a little bit of a catch-22, right? That's your mind trying to convince you that you shouldn't try to change, change your mind. So you have to kind of bargain with it. It's like I would just bargain with my mind. I would just like, all right, I tell you what, you know, I know this is a bunch of bullshit, you know, but, but I'll just try it once or twice today, you know, these thoughts of loving kindness, you know? And then, of course, I would do it. This, this is pretty good. It's like we say, just try it a little bit. You know, and we, if you want, we'll refund your misery. <laughs> we're happy to do that. 
So this is how you train the mind. It's a process of bending the mind in a different direction. And you just keep doing it, and you just keep doing it, and maybe you do it three times today and four times tomorrow, and you forget for a couple of days, and then you do it a few more times, but you just keep doing it, you just keep doing it, days, weeks, months, years, decades, and the mind gradually bends. And you get, first thing that happens is you become disenchanted with that thinking. And there was a certain point in my practice when I started doing this, when I, you know, the thought of aversion would come up, the person on the cell phone or the weather, and, it, and, and then it would get, oh, God. And it was like amazing to me. It's like, I didn't want to go there anymore. But I trained myself to see the drawbacks in it. Where did that come from? Where did that sudden disenchantment with this thinking come from? It came from all those times when I questioned the thinking. You know, and then thoughts of loving kindness and compassion started coming up. Where did they come? Well, it was all that moment here, moment there. All that bargaining with my mind that, you know, gradually, gradually the mind starts to bend in a different direction. The Buddha says you have to be heedful, ardent, and resolute. So you have to be ardent, you have to stay with it. You have to stay with it, you have to be determined, you have to stay with it over a period of time. You know, but the quality of ardency is a quality that's informed by the heart. You stay with it, you keep doing it out of love for yourself, and out of love for the people in your life, and out of love for all beings. Heedful, ardent, and resolute. I mean, resolute means you have to have a commitment to it. You have to have a commitment to this way of practicing. It's a commitment that you make to yourself. It's a commitment that you make to your heart. It's a commitment that you make to your goodness. It's a commitment that you make to this potential that you have to be happy in this life. So let's just close our eyes for a second. So we'll take 10 minutes. So it's 8.20, so we'll come back at 8.30, or you can stay in your seat. We'll take 10 minutes, but in silence. So let's really try to maintain the silence, and let's try to practice. So try to stay with your breath, try to stay with your body, sense of ease. Really try to see if you can be in a sense of ease and a sense of well-being, and then just touch in. Well, let me be here in this moment with metta. Let me be here with compassion. If you're not feeling so good, you've got to go to compassion, right? Let me have compassion for yourself. If you're kind of like, okay, let me be in this 10 minutes. You know, and if you do that once or twice during this 10 minutes, or notice the thoughts of aversion, like, why is he taking up my 10 minutes? Now there's only nine left. Okay, so 10 minutes, I'll ring the bell uh, a little bit before 8.30. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.